Uh, hey, welcome everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Just to uh, uh, echo what Veronica said, so glad that you guys are here this morning, and especially our first-time visitors. We're so glad that you uh, are joining us today and hope that you're blessed by your time. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Philip Patterson. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege now. Uh, next part of the service, we're going to move into a time of Bible study. We're going to go to the scriptures, and uh, I've been away the last couple of weeks. I've been here, but I haven't been teaching in the last couple of weeks. It's been really neat. It was neat to hear from Alan and from Pastor Joe as they open up God's word for us, and I know I was blessed by uh, what they had to share, and I hope you were as well. Um, but it was, it was really neat the last couple of weeks just to be able to spend some really dedicated, concentrated time um, in prayer and uh, planning and preparation, not just for our Christmas season, but on into 2015. It's just been a, a neat couple of weeks, and so I appreciate the time away, but I am very excited about, about coming back and, and opening the Word with you guys again, especially because of the passage that we're looking at today. The seven verses that we're going to look at this morning um, are it's just a beautiful passage of Scripture and, uh, and, and challenging all at the same time, so it's going to be good. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to John chapter 14. We're going to be starting at verse 25 today and then finishing up the chapter. Um, while you're turning you know, your, your Bibles there or you're turning your Bibles on, depending on how that works for you, uh, we, uh, let me just mention one more thing. Um, as Roxy said, we are right in the midst of our Christmas season, and Christmas is a season uh, for most of us uh, full of joy and light and laughter and fun and good food and good family, uh, lots of memories. It's just we have lots to celebrate in the Christmas season. It's a, it's a, it's a season full of joy. Uh, and, but for whatever reason, um, Christmas can also... Uh, also has a tendency to be, for many, uh, a season of sorrow, a season of heartbreak, um, a season of, of suffering, a season of loss. I was talking to, to um, one of you here, this is last week, and he was saying, he said, you know, it's, I can't remember the last December where I wasn't in the hospital visiting someone that I loved, you know, where there wasn't somebody, you know, suffering or some kind of, something going on. Uh, and this, this year is, is no exception. Um, this, this season, this, this December, uh, is a, uh, a very dark hour, a dark season for many families in our church. Um, just yesterday, I attended not one but two memorial services uh, for families of this church. And then, uh, but we've, we've actually had three families that have, have lost loved ones over the last two weeks. We're a small church. That's a, that's a, that's a big percentage. The last two weeks, immediate family members have been lost. And, I, and actually, as I was driving from one, when I was leaving the first memorial service to head to the second, I, got, I was notified that another Longtime church member here passed away. Uh, some of you know Remore Collins, um, uh, Gary and Colette, Gary Rodriguez and, and, and Colette. It was Colette's mom. She sat right, right there for, for many years. Um, passed from leukemia yesterday morning. Okay, this has been, um, it's been a, a season of loss for many people. There are several families in our church that were in the hospital this week. I met with several of you this last week um, in, in my office. We, we, we talked and prayed through all kinds of you know, marital struggles and financial struggles and physical struggles and, and spiritual, lots of spiritual struggles. This is, this is a dark hour for many people uh, in our church. Um, and so the question is that we, we should ask today is, well, what do we do with that? And, and, and a lot of well-meaning Christians will, will say stuff like, well, you know what, let's, when you come, let's leave our distractions at the door. Let's leave our junk at the door and let's come in and meet with God. That's the last thing you want to do. That's the last thing. Now you bring that stuff in here, and you set it at the feet of Jesus. That's the place where it's going to get dealt with. That's the place where you're going to find healing. You bring it in, and you set it at the foot of the cross. 
So I want to ask you, if, this is, if, if what I was just describing describes you in any way, I want to ask you, as we go to the scriptures, would you bring those things to the forefront of your mind? Would you, would you bring those out? Set them on your lap. And as we study God's word, let's, let's engage the junk that's going on in our life head on with the promises of Christ. Because it, the passage that we're going to look at today actually is set within the context of a very dark hour, not just for Jesus, but also for Jesus' disciples. If you've been with us, you know that we've been, we've been looking at the conversations that Jesus has been having with his disciples and the things that he's been doing as, as Jesus is in the upper room. Um, and, and what we're going to look at today is basically Jesus' last comments to his disciples before they literally get up and they walk out and they head out to the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, so he's going he's gonna to stand up and he's going to lead them out. And in just a few short hours from that point, as Jesus is out praying in this secret place, in this garden that he likes to go out and pray, Judas the betrayer is going to lead a mob of armed men out. And he, Judas is going to show them the way to the secret place that Jesus has. And, and, and he's going to, um, uh, the, the, the mob is going to, to, to arrest Jesus. The disciples are going to flee. They're going to arrest Jesus and they're going to... Uh, bring him into an illegal trial in the middle of the night and they're going to falsely accuse him and they're going to mock him and they're going to spit on him and they're going to beat him and they're going to flog him and then they're, eventually within a few short hours from that, the next day they're going to hang him on a cross and kill him. And Jesus knows that his time is at hand. He knows that this is all about to go down. None of this is going to take Jesus by surprise. Uh, G- Jesus is not murdered against his own will. He says, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus, in this upper room, has been telling his disciples, this is what's to come. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving you. I'm leaving now. And, and I'm going to be killed. One of you is going to betray me, and I'm going to die. Now, think about this for a moment. Everything the disciples had hoped for, everything that they had been looking forward to, not just for their life, you know, looking for the Messiah, but the last three years as they've been following, everything now is getting flipped upside down. Can you imagine? Put yourself in the shoes of the disciples for a moment. Okay, um, everything that they had planned, everything they had in mind is, is, is being flipped upside down. Nothing makes sense anymore. They left everything to follow this Messiah. They, they left their homes, they left their jobs, they left their uh, security, their families. Can you imagine hearing Jesus saying this? You'd say, what, are you kidding me? You're leaving? You're leaving now? You're going to die? What was the point? Why did we do all this? Why? Why did we leave our homes? Why did we leave our jobs? Why did we leave our families? If you knew that this was how it was going to end. Why? I, I talked with a young lady uh, this week who lost her mom on Monday. And we talked on Wednesday. And we, talk, we chatted for a little while. And the last thing I asked her, I said, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? Any, any other questions you might have? Anything that you wanted to discuss or get off your chest? You know, she, she said, why? Why? Why would God take my mom from me? doesn't make any sense. Why would God take her from me? Maybe you look at your situation, whatever's going on in your life. Maybe you've lost a loved one recently. Maybe you've, you've got stuff going on in your life, and it just doesn't make any sense. You're saying, God, this isn't making sense. Look at all the things that I've left to follow you. I've left my old life. I've been faithful to you. And all, but all I see around me is pain and suffering and heartbreak and loss. It doesn't make any sense. Why? This is the context. If, that, if, that's, if that's you, this is the context of the passage that we're looking at today. The disciples are saying, why? What? This doesn't make sense. In the same way that Jesus encouraged and built up his disciples to face that dark hour, I believe that God wants to encourage us and build us up today to face our dark hour. And by the way, if you're not, if this doesn't describe you, if you're not in that dark hour, um, 
you too must, we must look through these promises. We must hold on to them because as we say here, we are one phone call away from our life getting flipped upside down. Life is fragile. We are one phone call away. And the promises that God gives us, or that God the Son gives us uh, as he talks to his followers, um, I, I think will allow us to take head on what life sends us. Okay? So let's go to the scriptures. John chapter 14, verse 25. We're going to read uh, through the end of the chapter. These things I, Jesus, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away. And I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise. Let us go from here. So Jesus promises his uh, disciples several things in this passage of Scripture. He promised them his presence, peace, perspective, and purpose. And I don't typically do the letter thing, but I'm doing it today. It just worked. Um, Presence, peace, perspective, and purpose. And before we look at these, we need to do another P word. We need to pray. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises therein. Um, God, we thank you for your spirit here with us today that you promised and that you sent out. We, we, we see, the, we see the, um, the, the outpouring of your spirit in the book of Acts, and we know that, that your spirit is here with those who uh, uh, believe just as it was in Acts. That same power is here today, and God, we, just, we pray that as the Spirit has inspired the Scriptures, we pray that you were, your Spirit that is present with us today would illuminate the Scriptures to our minds and our hearts, and you would help us by your, the power of your Spirit to respond today in faith. I pray, Father, that we would be encouraged, every, every heart here would be encouraged and comforted, uh, that strength would be found, that peace would be found in you. I pray, Father, that you would build us up individually as families and as a corporate body today. I pray, God, that your word would go out and that it would not return void. We love you, and all of this is for your glory and for your name's sake. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So in, in the disciples' darkest hour, most painful, most confusing hour, what does Jesus do? The first thing he does is he, is he promises his presence. He promises them his presence, and he doesn't say to them, guys, yes, I'm going. Yes, I'm going to die, but listen, hey, my memory will always be with you, okay? In some vague, nebulous way, um, you know, my, I'll, I'll always be with you in your hearts. That's not what he's saying. Um, he says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Okay, did you catch that? Joe mentioned this last week. He will teach you. The Holy Spirit. He refers to him as he. It's not it. Okay? It's he. The, the Holy Spirit is a person, that the, the presence that, that, that Jesus promises is a person. 
Uh, The Holy Spirit is not just some fond memories of Jesus, nor is the Holy Spirit some force to be tapped into, nor is the Holy Spirit just some formula to be figured out. If you just type in the right numbers and the right equations, then you'll get the product that you want, nor is the the Holy Spirit uh, just some emotional dynamic. The Holy Spirit is a person who wills, who acts, who encourages, who convicts, who discerns, who empowers, and who communicates. Jesus says to his disciples, yes, I'm going. The second person of the Trinity, God the Son, is leaving, is moving on. But God is not leaving. God is not leaving you. The third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, is coming. So this is a season when we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. You realize that Emmanuel is as true today as it ever was. God is with us. Romans 8 says that any who are children of God are led by the Spirit of God. In other words, if you belong to Christ, if you are a child of God, the Spirit has come upon you. This was not a promise given just strictly in that upper room to those you know, apostles, nor is it a, a, a promise only enjoyed by, by you know, the, the, the spiritual elite, the Christian elite, those who have you know, had enough time in the kingdom and learned enough scripture and, and, and battled enough sin. All right? This is if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God is with you. Read Romans 8. We're going to reference Romans 8 a lot today. I've been spending a lot of time in Romans 8. Okay, it's, just, it's really, really neat to see the Spirit of God and how he engages our soul. Um, now, but if you're like me, maybe, uh, if you're like me, then, then oftentimes in my, my, my walk, I've, I've affirmed this doctrinally. I, I've got it right here. I've affirmed it intellectually. But I live as if he doesn't live within me, right? In my day-to-day, I often move forward as if I'm on my own. Anybody else? Am I the only one? Romans 8 says, The same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead now lives in you and gives you life and peace. The same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And so here's the question that I've been asking myself, and here's the question that I pose to you this morning. If you woke up tomorrow morning, Monday morning, with this understanding in the forefront of your mind, not just intellectually, but you, you, you got it. If, if, you, if you woke up tomorrow morning with the understanding that, 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 the, that God the Holy Spirit that the same who, who raised Jesus Christ from the dead now lives in you and, and, and walks with you in every way, uh, in, in every situation, how would that change how you live? If you knew God the Holy Spirit was in you, how would it change the moments when you felt utterly and completely alone? I'm not just saying, well, you know, he make you feel better, right? You know, like the feelings of God. I'm saying he is with you, the person of God, the Holy Spirit who listens and communicates and acts. How would that change how you react when you feel utterly and completely alone? If you knew the, that, that God, the Holy Spirit, was in you, how would it change the way that you look at the sin that's in your life that you think is too big for you to beat? If you knew that God the Holy Spirit was in you, how would it affect um, what you do when you're on your own, when nobody's looking? And you think, nobody can see what I'm doing right now. If you knew that God the Holy Spirit was, was in you and with you, how would that affect that? If you knew that God the Spirit was in you and with you, the very same God who is owner of a cattle on a thousand hills, how would that change your level of anxiety when the bills keep coming in and the paycheck just isn't cutting it? If you knew that, that, that God the Holy Spirit was with you, how would it change some of your relationship? How would it help you deal with those who have wronged you? And, and today when you wake up and you say, you know, I just, 
I know they've asked for forgiveness for what they've done, and I'm trying to forgive, but today I just don't feel like I have anything left in me to give. I've got no forgiveness left in my heart. How would it affect the, the way that you uh, approach them and, 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 and related to them if you knew that God the Holy Spirit, the same God who forgave you, was patient with you, whose mercies are new this morning? How would that affect the way that you approach them? If you knew the Holy Spirit um, was with you, how would it change the way that you approach opportunities to share your faith in Jesus Christ? Would that understanding help maybe remove some, some of the fears of inadequacy or some of the fears of rejection? It changes everything. But maybe you're here today, maybe you don't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Maybe, you, maybe you'd be honest about that. You'd say, you know, I've, I've, I've honestly have never placed my faith in Jesus Christ. I don't even, I'm not even sure really how to get the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God living in my life. I can honestly say that. You know, I've never placed my faith in Jesus, and, and, and so I, I, I can't walk out of these doors confident and assured that I'm not walking out alone. Let me tell you how it happens. We look at the second promise of Christ. We see it in verse 27. Peace I leave with you, and my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He gives peace. Um, but he gives peace not as the world gives. And that begs the question, of course, well, how does the world give? And I've been reading uh, a book called One Way Love uh, with a, a, a buddy in here. Uh, and in the very first chapter of this book, the author uh, writes about the way the world gives. And I think this is pretty insightful, the way that he basically says it. Um, he says, here, here's how the world gives. Uh, if you eat your broccoli, then you can have some dessert, okay? If you, clean your, if you clean your room, then you'll get a star on the chore chart, all right? And if you get enough stars on the chore chart, then your mommy and dad will be pleased with you. And if you work hard enough in class, then you'll, then you'll get a good grade. And if you get good enough grades, then you'll get your diploma. And if you, you know, if you get your diploma and you get a good enough GPA, then you'll get into that college that you want to get, uh, you know, that you, want, that you want to go to. And if you get your degree, then you'll get that job that you want. And, and if you get the job that you want and you make enough money, you know, then you can buy that, that car that you've, you've been eyeing, all right? And if you're driving that car, then she'll finally say yes to go out with you, all right? Um, and if you're nice enough to her, she'll stick around long enough for you to dupe her into marrying you, okay? And if she marries you, maybe the guys at work will have greater respect for you, and then you'll finally be up for that promotion that you've wanted, okay? And if, you, if you're up for that promotion, you better watch out because... Uh, you know, that's going to take on some more responsibilities. And if you don't work hard enough, then, you know, they might have a bad quarter and they might have some cutbacks. Okay, this is the way our world works. If you do this, then you get this. If you don't do this, you won't get that. He says life is a two-way street. Life is, is really a two-way street. This is what he says. Reward and punishment, this for that, reciprocity, whatever you want to call it, it defines more than just our economy, our relationships, our careers, our institutions, all run on the principle of I'll do X for you if you do Y for me. Everything is conditional. If you love me, only then will I love you. If you give to me, only then will I give to you. If you serve me, only then will I serve you. This conditionality plagues us at every turn and keeps us enslaved to fear, reservation, and insecurity. Owing and deserving seems to be written into the fabric of human nature and civilization. We live in a conditional world. And I think he's right. And in a sense, if we're honest, we kind of like that. We kind of like that system. Because what it does is it puts all of the control in our hands. The, the equation, if I do this, then you're obligated to do that for me. 
We like that because it keeps life formulaic, it keeps it predictable, and honestly, it keeps the earning power in our hands. It gives us control. And this is one of the reasons why I think grace is so hard for us to understand and it's so hard for us to stomach at times. Because grace is free. It's so counterintuitive. It absolutely defies our logic. Hard for us because it means that we have to actually let go of control. And we have to put our fate into someone else's hands. This whole grasping for control, this, this goes all the way back to the garden. If you remember what the serpent told Adam and Eve, he said, if you do this, you'll be like God. You'll be like God. You'll be in control. But consider for a moment what has happened with when we've had a, a world full of people grasping for control. I, I've heard it said like this. Imagine there's a, there's a play. You've got a production going on, right? And ima- imagine the chaos. If during that play, um, you know, one of the actors suddenly decided to usurp the, you know, the director's role. He was going to you know, declare a mutiny. He was going to go and take that. I'm going to be the director now. Okay, imagine the chaos if one of the actors decided to do that. What do you think would happen? Fire that actor, right? You'd, you'd boot that actor out of there. Now imagine for a second, what if all of the actors at the same time decided to try to be the director? Right? They said, I want to determine how this production is going to go down. I- I'm going to be the one in charge. I- in-, in fact, I, w- I want to be the lead role as well. Imagine the chaos if an entire you know, production decided that they wanted to do that. If you ask me, that's, that's actually a pretty good picture of the world around us. Everybody's trying to be the director. Everybody's trying to go a certain way. Everybody's got their own agenda. Everybody's trying to be the, the lead star. And basically, we're clawing at one another trying to get to the top. How do you think the director would respond? If I were the director of that kind of production, I'd basically throw my hands up in my clipboard or whatever directors carry, okay? I'd throw my bullhorn or whatever, and and I'd walk out. And I'd basically let the play and and, and the actors destroy themselves. The production just come crumbling down. That's what I would do. How did our director respond? Did he do that? He stepped in, and he saved us, and he's making all things new. He's making a new production. And any who would submit to him as director, any who would submit to him, he freely offers a way back in. Freely offers a way back in. You can have a part again. If you let go of control, he offers a way back in. He offers grace. Not as the world gives do I give. He offers it freely. Paul Zoll is another uh, author. He said this. He said, grace is love that seeks you out when you have nothing to give in return. Grace is love coming at you that has nothing to do with you. Grace is being loved when you are unlovable. Grace is a love that has nothing to do with you, the beloved. It has everything and only to do with the lover. Grace is irrational in the sense that it has nothing to do with weights and measures. It has nothing to do with my intrinsic qualities or so-called gifts. Grace is one-way love. You might be here today, and we've been talking about, you know, some of us are having, you know, basically a dark season, a dark hour. Maybe your dark hour here is, is uh, defined by shame, guilt, a sense of unworthiness. You screwed up too much. You're, you're, you've just gone far beyond the, the realm of love and acceptance from God. 
You've made too many mistakes. You feel like you haven't lived up to your end of the bargain. If that's the way you're thinking, you're still assuming that Jesus gives as the world gives. And if you do this, then Jesus will give you that. Jesus does not give as the world gives. He offers peace freely. We just let go of control. Julian Chavijan, he's the guy who wrote the book One Way Love. He said this. The idea that there is an unconditional love that relieves the pressure and forgives our failures and replaces our fear with faith seems too good to be true. Longing for hope in a world of hype, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the news that we have been waiting for all our lives. Jesus came to liberate us from the weight of having to make it on our own, from the demand to measure up. Jesus came to release us from the slavish need to be right, rewarded, regarded, and respected. Because Jesus came to set the captives free, life does not have to be a tireless effort to establish ourselves and justify ourselves and validate ourselves. The gospel of Jesus Christ announces that because Jesus was strong for you, you're free to be weak. Because Jesus won for you, you're free to lose. Because Jesus was someone, you're free to be no one. Because Jesus was extraordinary, you're free to be ordinary. Because Jesus succeeded for you, you're free to fail. This is the best news in all the world. And, and this, was, this was great news for the apostles that night as they heard Jesus say this because they were going to abandon Jesus in just a few hours. They were going to fail miserably. But the peace that Jesus offered them was not contingent upon their faithfulness. It's contingent upon God's faithfulness. And please don't hear what I'm not saying because I know inevitably there's going to be somebody because we have the conversation every time we really harp on grace. Okay, um, there's going to be some of you who are going to come up to me and, and, and say that I'm saying this. Here's what, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that what we do is not important. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that what we do is not important. But Christianity is not first and foremost about the sacrifice that we make for Jesus. It's about the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. The, I've heard it said the essence of Christianity is not do something for Jesus. It's Jesus has done everything for you. What we do is important, but it is far less important, infinitely less important than what Jesus has done for us. Amen? We should be cheering right now. This is fantastic. This is great news. It's because I'm yelling at you. I'm sorry. Jesus loves you. We'll keep going. The, the third thing that Jesus gives his disciple in this dark hour is, is, is proper perspective. He gives perspective. Verse 28, you heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I'll no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. So Jesus' last comment before he stands up and he walks out of the room and leads his disciples out is this. He says, things are about to get very, very ugly. Things are about to go very, very bad. Things are about to get very dark. Our time is coming to an end. And it's coming because Satan, the ruler of this world, is on his way. But you need to know, Satan has no claim on me. He's got nothing on me. He, he is not overpowering me. Satan is not the reason for the cross. Obedience is the reason for the cross. Love is the reason for the cross. Jesus says things are going to look very, very dark tonight, but you must know, disciples, 
that, that evil and lies and deceit and darkness do not rule this night. Love rules this night. That's what he's saying. Verse 29, Jesus says, I've told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. The, the point of, of Jesus giving this prediction to his disciples is to make utterly, completely clear who is in charge that night. It's not Satan. It's not Pilate. It's not Herod. It's not the Jews. It's not the soldiers. He says, nobody take my, takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Evil does not have the upper hand. Light, love, obedience has the upper hand. And here's why this is so important for us to understand today, 2,000 years later. Because if this is true at history's darkest hour, it will be true in your darkest hour. When you get that phone call and everything comes crashing down around you, nothing seems to make sense. We remember that, that at the darkest hour in history, it was not darkness that reigned. It was the light of the world. And if our trust is in him, if we lean on him, if we press into him, we are more than conquerors. That's not just a saying we throw around in, in, in the Christian circles. That's, that's scripture. That's Romans 8. Let me read it to you. What, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. And more than that, who was raised. Who was at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us. Who, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? And there's one more thing that Jesus gives his apostles here. He gives them a command. He gives them purpose. He says, very last thing he says, rise, let us go from here. And if you go back to the, to the original translation here, what, what's, what's the, the idea that's behind this is a military commander giving orders to the troops. Okay? It, it, it's, he's basically gi giving them the order to charge. He's saying, ready? Let's march. Let's move. In light of these three gifts from Christ, his indwelling presence with us, his, his peace that he gives freely, proper perspective that he is on the throne. Even on the darkest of days, he is on the throne. In light of those three things, his presence, peace, and proper perspective, we move forward. And I think that challenge is for us today. If you have experienced peace with Christ, if you have experienced his presence dwelling within you, and you can move forward each and every day, no matter if it's dark or it's light, with the understanding that Christ is king, shouldn't that change how you live? Shouldn't that change our, our goals and our aspirations and our confidence? Shouldn't that change how we move? I'm going to, I had a couple of really cool stories I wanted to share, but I'm going to, I'll do that. So, um, this morning I've been thinking a lot about this, how to, how to finish up our time. And I had, a, like I said, I had a, a last point made, but let me, let me say this. It, it's very, very true um, that many, many of our folks 
are, are walking through some dark seasons right now, are, are in some, um, some very dark hours. And my hope is that this morning that you found some, some encouragement and some comfort and some strength in the promises of Christ, in his word. Um, but my heart, I was, I was, this morning I was going over the message and I kind of drive around, um, careful that you're not in those neighborhoods because I'm kind of half looking at my iPad, it's terrible, um, for your safety. Uh, but I kind of drive around and I, and I go over this. Uh, and I, can't, I, couldn't help, I couldn't help but just be overwhelmed with the reality that, yes, um, we are encouraging one another with these promises and with this peace right here for those who are, who are suffering. There's about probably 80 folks in, the, in our this room right now. There's almost a million in our city, and we're not the only ones that are suffering through dark hours today. And here's the reality. We, we come in here, and we encourage one another, and we spur one another on towards love and good deeds uh, in Christ by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit that binds us together. But what about the 900,000 plus that don't have the, that light, that don't have that hope? And my heart breaks because the reality is there are many, many people that are suffering in, in our city, and, and if, if they don't have Christ, where are they going to run to? And so, so what's been going through my mind over the last, it's been months now, is what do we do as a church to have a greater impact in our community, a greater impact in our city? Because the bottom line is we have a community that needs Jesus Christ in the same way that we need Jesus Christ. We've got sinners who, who, who need to be forgiven, who need to have that guilt and that shame and, 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 and a right relationship with God. And a Holy Spirit that will live with them and help them to be able to walk through each and every day and with hope and with peace and with strength and with purpose. So what do we do to have a greater impact in our city? Can I, can I be really honest with you guys? Um, I, I love our church family. And I'm so grateful for what God has done over the last 15 years in our church family. I'm so grateful for what he's doing. But I'm not content um, I'm content in what Christ should choose to do in, in, in bearing fruit. It, it, he's the one that's going to bear the fruit. There's nothing that I can do, and there's nothing that you can do that can manufacture fruit. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to pray every single day that God would allow us to have a bigger impact in this city. Because the bottom line is there's, there's 80 or 85 of us in here, and, and, and I think it would be dishonoring to the Lord, in fact, if we didn't want every single soul in these neighborhoods to come to know Jesus Christ and to walk with him. And so I've been praying, not just for Twin Oaks. Frankly, I don't, I'm not that concerned about the, the name of Twin Oaks Church being, being popular and so on, but I am concerned about the, the fame and the glory of Jesus Christ. So I've been praying for not just our church, but for Bernal Church and Westgate and, and Neighborhood Bible and Father's House and all of these other great Christ-exalting churches. We need to see these churches exploding with people who know Jesus, who are growing in Jesus, and who are sharing Jesus and following Jesus. If I can be really honest with you guys, a, a few weeks ago, I was sitting in the back worshiping with the worship team before the message, and, and I was looking out, and, and to be honest with you, I, I saw about half of the church is empty, and, and, it, started, and it bothered me, and so if, if I'm, just, I'm being kind of candid here, and, and so I know that in the circles and stuff, they say, don't worry about numbers, you, and, and you know, don't, don't worry about that, God will bring it once, but you just be faithful, and I get that, and there's truth to that. At the same time, I'm concerned about numbers. I want to see as many souls come to know Jesus as possible. Uh, and so I was sitting in the back, and I was kind of doing some soul searching, thinking, Philip, why, why are you being bothered by this? Is it, is it a vanity thing? Is it ego-driven? Are, are you just trying, you just want numbers in there so you can pat yourself on the back? What, way to go, Philip. Um, 
And, and so the, for, for several days, I was processing this. Here, here's what it came down to. There were a couple of things. Number one, I'm going to see people come to know Jesus. The second thing was this. I was sitting in the back there. My wife, who just walked in, um, if, if, she were, if she were to have worked on a project, if she were to have really poured herself out in, in, in this, this creative process, right, and she just poured herself in, and then she were to have been basically dismissed, discredited, not, not given the credit that she deserved, as her husband who loves her, that would really bother me. Right? I'd want to see her get the credit that she deserves. I love God, and I want to see him get the credit that he deserves. I want to see the glory that is due his name. Joe talked about this last week. I want to see his fame and his glory you know, manifest in our city. I want to see him honored. And so in a sense, part of what I was feeling is that, man, I want to see this place packed out with people who are worshiping their God. Worshiping their creator. I'm, I'm jealous for God's glory. I want to see this place packed and, and, and then starting to say, and packed again and then packed again. Not so that Twin Oaks can be, can be renowned, but so the name of Jesus Christ can be worshiped. And so to be honest with you, again, I'm, I'm, I'm studying this, this passage of scripture and I was practicing it this morning and it just, my heart just goes out to our neighbors. And so to be honest, over the last several weeks and months, um, I've just been like, God, what do we do? Because we're not going to see a movement of God based upon our creative strategies. That's not going to happen. It doesn't work like that. Okay, we're, we're not, we can't manufacture that. We can't conjure that up. And so, to be honest with you, you said, what's the plan? I don't know. Um, a few weeks ago, I was reading through, I was reading through uh, Colossians uh, chapter 1. And there was a, as I was just reading early morning, and, and, and Paul had told the Colossian church, he said, uh, he said, Ever since I heard about the man who came and, and, and shared the gospel with you, and I heard, I heard what, uh, he, uh, how the gospel has really taken root in your church, he said, I have not ceased to pray for you. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing this, so bear with me. I have not ceased to pray for you that you might be filled with all spiritual wisdom and that you might know the knowledge of his will so that you might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that you might be fully pleasing to him, that you might bear fruit in every good work, and that you might grow in your knowledge of God. And as I read through that, that, that ver- those verses in chapter 1, my, I, I thought, that's exactly what we've been praying for. This is exactly what we want to see at Twin Oaks Church. This is exactly what we want to see in, in the church of San Jose. We want to, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's walking in integrity and holiness, being obedient to Christ. We want to be fully pleasing to him, not just, you know, you know, a few areas, but fully pleasing to him in every way. We want to bear fruit in every good work. And that's not just, you know, again, noses and nickels, butts in the seats. We're talking about being fruitful. That means people coming to know Jesus, but it also means growth in godly character. Romans also talks about fruitfulness being impacting the poor, helping the poor, okay? Bearing fruit in every good work. And then growing in our knowledge of God. That's not just knowledge about God, you know, learning facts. It's growing in our intimacy with him, growing in our relationship with him. This is what we want to see at Twin Oaks Church. This is what we've been praying for. And so I backtracked in Colossians 1, and I saw what Paul said is, I have not ceased to pray that you might experience those things. So as I'm, as I'm, as I'm wrestling with the Lord, what do we do to bear fruit? And again, it's up to him. We can't, we can't talk him into it. We can't conjure it up. But what I was convicted to was, are you praying for it? Are you daily, aggressively praying for, for a movement of God in our city? Are, are you daily, praying, aggressively praying that, 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 that impact would come through Twin Oaks Church? And so this is what I want to I, I lay before you guys this morning. 
We're, we're looking, we've had a lot of really great conversations. We've been talking about this among the leadership team. What can we do uh, in, in, to participate in, in what we believe God wants to do in the city? God wishes that all would come to repentance, that all would find salvation. How can we participate in that? And so we're praying. And I, I want to ask you to do the same thing. Would you pray? We want to see new people enter into our doors. We've got all of this new development that's happening all around us. And so we've been praying and we've been talking. God, God how, how do we reach our neighbors? So we're coming up with all kinds of, you know, we're going to do door hangers and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. You know, we're talking about our community groups. Could they be strengthened? We're, all of these different things. We're going to work. But again, if it's not activated by the power of the Holy Spirit, it's all for naught. You know, it's, it's, it's Paul does this and Apollos does this, but it's God who, 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 who makes it grow. Okay? And so I, I want to lay that before you guys this morning. I want to just, can we, can we close with that? Um, I, I wanna, I'm going to lay this before you. Um, there's a lot of folks in our, in our communities that, that are experiencing some dark seasons. And we have, we have the light of Christ in our hearts and in our hands. Let's go share it. And so we, what I want to do is I, I would love for us actually just to have some time in prayer right here and right now. Um, would you be willing to pray that God would lead us on in whatever way he sees fit? that he would help us in, in, in the strategies that we put together and the efforts that we do and the ministries that we develop? Would you, would you pray that God would provide for us financially? You know, we, we've, we've just seen God be so, so faithful in so many different ways over the last 15 years, as specifically in our provisions. You know, Glenn mentioned a few weeks ago, God was so good that he allowed us to finish in the black fiscally last year. But you know, he also mentioned for the last five, six months, we've been in the red. Those of you math people who, do, who know numbers, you can only be in the red for so long. But we trust in Christ. We trust that he'll provide as he sees fit. But we just, we just ask that God would provide for us financially, that he would, he would lead us forward, that, we, that he would provide in every single way, and that he would bear fruit in us individually and as a church. So can we do that? So what I'd what I like to do is, I actually like... If you're new here, I'm sorry, this might be just a little bit uncomfortable, and I, and I don't want to put anybody on the spot here, but it'd be neat if we just maybe broke up into to small groups for just five or six people. Just kind of turn your chairs around. It'll be all kinds of awkward, but that's okay. Um, and can we just spend six or seven minutes, and can we pray for what God is doing in our city? Can we pray for what God is doing in our church? And can we pray, if you have somebody, perhaps, in your group that is also going through this dark season that we talked about, maybe we could also pray directly for them. Can we do that? Okay, I'm going to ask the band to come on up, and they're just going to play quietly as, as, as we pray. Go ahead and turn your, and, and if you don't feel comfortable praying, no problem at all. You, you, there's, no, there's no necessity to, to, that everybody has to pray. You pray as you feel led. Let's just pray for a few minutes and the team will be, bring us back into worship.